Hi, welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is The Other Thing I Do. My guest this week is Sophie Ramvari, a filmmaker whose new short film, Pumpkin Movie, makes its Canadian premiere in Toronto at Hot Docs this Thursday, April 26th. It's a hybrid project, mixing documentary and dramatic elements, and in a way, this is a hybrid episode slipping back and forth between Sophie's work and the film she chose. That's because Sophie picked Camera Person, Kirsten Johnson's 2016 collage of footage shot over 25 years as a cinematographer on projects like The Oath, Darfur Now, Fahrenheit 9-11, and dozens more, interwoven with videos of her own family, offering us a sense of the life Johnson leaves behind when she goes to work. And operating from that simple principle, jumping back and forth in time, in place, Camera Person creates a compelling, thoughtful investigation of what it means to be a filmmaker and what it costs. It's a truly remarkable accomplishment, and one that grows richer and richer with each viewing. This is someone else's movie. It was the first, um, quote-unquote, documentary that I'd seen in a long time that I was really moved by. I've kind of become disenfranchised with the idea of a documentary in the last few years. I think as a filmmaker, thinking about genre and what it means to have a documentary, what it means to have a fiction, especially because I'm starting to work more in a hybrid sense. And I think that documentary is um, through the mainstream of like, or just uh, the you know the average person sees documentary as real, and they sure. think it's like this is a fact based thing, and I should believe what I'm watching. And a fiction film is um, the opposite, and there's basically the two different genres. Whereas to me, a documentary is um, it's just it's just as fictionalized because you still have a lens, you still have a camera and a frame, a bias. You're showing people something very specific and it's just i find it a little bit um dishonest to call something a documentary i think well certainly with editing yeah yeah, i mean anybody who there are a couple of films at hot docs this year where it's just they're banking on people not knowing how movies are put together yes absolutely in order to yeah it's it's totally relying on like the ignorance yeah of an audience which i think is what I like so much about hybrid and films that call attention to the fact that they are films mm-hmm. is that it's honest and it's like, yes, some of this is contrived and some of this is like made up, but some of this is a real genuine reaction or it's coming from a more vulnerable, vulnerable place. And I think that's what I like so much about this film is that it so calls attention to the fact that there is a camera and there is a person and it's just so distinctively that. And it, yeah. what I love, that's what I loved about it so, so much is that it really keeps you always knowing that she's showing you something and she's showing you because she's choosing to show you. Yeah, the yeah. why of it is so important. And yeah. I remember the first time I saw it, it was about a, three weeks before it premiered at Hot Docs, I think. Mm. And it was a link and I was watching it late at night and I just slowly started to realize that the assemblage was as important to the emotional heft of it totally. as what it is you're seeing. And where pieces come in and how context is formed and all of that. And I'm just, I, I remember just feeling so heartened because she trusted that I'd get it. That she, because it's a huge leap yeah. to just throw things at an audience without anything other than a date and time. Yes. And just figure that they'll pay, they'll, they'll stay, they'll stay focused, that they mm-hmm. won't wander off or, or, I mean, I suppose a theatrical film is more likely to be effective because you're trapped in a space with it. Yes. But 
I've seen dogs that drift away after 20 minutes. They just, I'll finish them, but they lose their focus and they're just not as... Yeah, they get their point across in the first 20 minutes and then you just feel them hammering away at the same point again and again. Yeah, whereas in this one we're getting not just a a sense of what she's done as a filmmaker, Mm -hmm. but a sense of what it's cost her and what Mm -hmm. she's missed at home and how, you know, people just suddenly get older or, or her father deteriorates a little more yeah, and it's just is, yeah such a, she does such a good job of um talking about time and how you can capture time or how you can't capture time in filmmaking and um yeah it's just fascinating the way that she uh, the, the question of like authorship mm-hmm. i think is huge in this film because she's pulling from footage that she shot for other people's films and so it's essentially an assemblage of like cutting room floor pieces yeah like the things that didn't make it into other people's films but is is that you know part of their film or is that part of her film is it both Mm -hmm. um and how did she choose to you know what the evaluative process is i'm keeping this mm -hmm. the idea that she wanted to include it somehow even though it didn't make the final cut of yeah someone else's production yeah or was it something that she just shot while she was on location in those places for herself but it's still within the context of like the film that she was Shooting, right? Because she's in. Because she obviously made her own connections with several of the people, because she's just such an extremely empathetic and vulnerable person. Like yeah, the yeah. amount of like um, herself that she puts into these these interactions with people is just like heartbreaking. She can't. It's interesting that she's so um, sensitive and sy- sympathetic that she's like crying at every turn. You know, it's like for the, someone, a woman who's seen so much carnage and. Um, heartbreak she's just it seems like it never stops affecting her yeah and how do you know when you're pushing too far as mm-hmm. a as a filmmaker as a as a documentarian yeah. I mean, i'm always hearing people talk about getting too close or getting too involved but how do you not do that yes. right i mean that there's a there's a, an honesty to this film in that she's just showing us how these bonds are formed with people mm-hmm. that she may never see again or mm-hmm. who may not be alive the next time she's in this region. It's just Absolutely. it's an, an incredibly psychically exhausting job above and beyond the, the potential for physical harm. Yeah. And somehow it all comes through like you just feel it in this film in a way that I didn't necessarily feel it in the films she was shooting. Yeah, that's, that's what's interesting about it, and that's what I, I was thinking about what the difference is that a director really can make, and people, I don't think, always think about that, especially with a documentary. People are not thinking as much about the director, I think, because mm-hmm. it's it's sort of like an omnipresent like information being funneled at you. Yeah. Um, well, as you were saying, when you see a documentary, you're some part of your brain is saying this is real. You're yeah. seeing the facts. Yeah, and as so much of it, of a documentary is just a, a form and a style that we've been um, like brainwashed into thinking is real. Like if it's shot on like a slightly uh, lesser quality camera um, and it's a little bit shaky, that's like that's why you know mockumentary and all these things became sure a yeah. thing. But it's it's a mockumentary and a documentary. Like how, where where how do you draw that line? Like, the difference between them is just they're so similar. Um, obviously there's scripted but then there's a lot of documentaries that are also have scripted things and you're cutting things out so I just think it's more honest when you are pointing out the fact that this is a film and uh, some of this yeah some of this may not that a film needs to come with like a uh, disclaimer like some of this may or may not be real but it's I think yeah documentary oftentimes is trying a little bit it's got a bit of a trickery to it that I don't really love 
Well, there's, I mean, there are a few films this year at Hot Docs which extensively recreate and restage, mm-hmm. and some of them own up to it, and some of them kind of hope you won't be bothered too much. And it's, it always creates a, a moment where I'm just pushed back a little bit, sort of roll back from the film and think, oh, is this necessary? And yeah. uh, there's an Irish film called <laughs> I Dolores, which is essentially a dramatic retelling of a woman's inter- of a woman being interviewed, Dolores Price, who was an IRA operative. Uh, and it has actors playing her and her family, and, and there's even dialogue here and there. And mm-hmm. what it does up front is simply say, this is entirely based on her version of events. Yes. So at least it's admitting that yeah. it's subjective. Yeah. And then there's good. another one where people, the, the filmmakers who've been performing for the camera for the entire film also bring in this giant ridiculous prop telescope and use it to look into the past of this space that they're investigating and I just oh it's so I just wanted to set the film on fire it's it's so it's so self-consciously adorable yes that the artifice of it rather than oh we couldn't figure out a better way to tell this story so we went for this this cutesy thing which is probably a podcast in its heart but is now a movie yes um (laughs) And it's just, this is not, it seems to me to do a disservice to the reality. Yeah. That they're, that they're trying to tell someone's story, and the only way they could figure out to do it is to drench it in phoniness, in artificial, and draw attention to it and say, oh, we couldn't make it work, but look. Yeah. And, and, and in Camera Person, Kristen Johnson just doesn't pretend to anything. We're seeing no. as effectively raw as we can get. There's no commentary. There's no context we simply are dropped into these por- portions of her life that we must interpret and understand and it was it's so simple mm-hmm. um and then the the chronology of it makes it so complicated that it's it's such a different experience from anyone else's movie making i think so absolutely and i think early on there's a shot that really really sold me was um it's a wide of like a sort of an open landscape somewhere in the u.s of the sky and it's thunder and lightning and she's got her camera yeah. on a tripod and you hear the thunder and then she sneezes and the camera shakes yeah. and you're so you become so aware that there's a person behind this camera and then she gasps when the lightning and the thunder strikes she like is reacting to what she's shooting and it's just it's the perfect summation of like what the rest of the film is like is that you know there's flaw behind shots and choices that she makes as a camera person and it's like it's there's human interaction with the she's not trying to pretend that she's like this um glossy floating camera that has no person behind it like you can feel her presence behind everything from that point onwards like you know she's the one filming which i think is so great yeah and again it's something you you mentioned earlier that there's no the massaging of of a standard documentary where the filmmakers remove i mean the audio is sweetened and things are changed Mm -hmm. i saw something a little while ago that had explosions in it which clearly had been Redubbed or, or just completely manufactured, the audio was not matching what a camcorder audio would have recorded. Right, yeah. And this is, yeah, it's it's as close to the truth yes. of it. Yeah. Just by really including her on the on the audio and, yeah, and, and the little things that someone else might have cut around. Yeah. Um, it's, I, I, you know, we, we were supposed to, I was supposed to interview her a couple of times. I've never managed to do it. And mm-hmm. it's really frustrating because I'd love to know how she figured out that this was even possible. 
Right. I mean, I saw her do a Q&A at, um, at Bloor Cinema, not during Hot Dogs. So she oh, came when they brought it back, it. right. Yeah. And um, I was so excited. I had seen it previously, I think, at Doxa. Maybe it was Doxa or VIF. I saw it in Vancouver. Um, and I wanted to see it again. I saw her and she did the Q&A. And I've never seen a better Q&A. <sighs> she was so, so great. Because she would take questions and she would run down to you with the microphone to like speak to you face to face because she wanted to have a conversation with each person that was asking a question. Oh wow! Like she was, she would like come down, get the question, and then she'd go back up and kind of elaborate to everybody else like what the conversation was that they just had. <laughs> like she's such a person, like a people person. It's like unbelievable, and she's so like ecstatic and like um, passionate about inspiring other people. And I just yeah, I asked her a question during the Q&A, which was, um, did you find that this film, making this film helped you deal with some of the trauma that you have either witnessed or faced yourself? Because there's things like seeing her mother slowly deteriorate and things like that. And like, was it helpful for you as a process making this film to process the trauma? And she said, absolutely. And that's why she made the film. And that each time she watches it, she gets more and more like um, relief and context of like what she's actually witnessed. and. That's a huge part of what I'm interested in as a filmmaker is process filmmaking and like personal filmmaking. And if if it's a means of like art therapy and, and trauma therapy, and she com- completely um, validated that. And I think that's why I connected to the film so much. Wow. I mean, you certainly, and I think I, I said that it was her father's deterioration at the beginning. And, and that's me because I've been staring at tax forms for the last four hours and <laughs> somewhere else entirely. Uh, but yeah, no, the, that's... There's absolutely so much. I mean, she's manufacturing her own catharsis with her yes. mom because yeah. we can start to understand. This is what I was talking about earlier: the stuff that's the time that's missing, the things that the way we see her kids just age yeah. in between cuts, and we have to deal with that, or, or her mother looking worse. Um, she's clearly trying to communicate that to us in a shocking way that that says that time is passing and we can't control it, which I've always assumed is how memory works, Mm -hmm. right? You just, people always say, oh, I turned around and I was 60 years old or something like that. And I kind of get it, but film helps us understand just simply through a jump cut Mm -hmm. so much more um, powerfully. Yeah, absolutely. And and in camera person, the way she moves back and forth in time is really um, immediate and compelling and, and, and piercing. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, the the whole sense of manufacturing your own catharsis and, and creating a way to show other people what you feel and how you feel it—that's mm-hmm. not what documentary does. That's yeah. like that's an art film. I think she. I think that what's so distinctive, like what you're saying, is she's able to tell her story while also telling other people's stories while also never exploiting anybody's stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas I think that's a huge issue for me in documentaries. So much of it's like, oh, I found this like really quirky, crazy person that I want to make a film out of because it'll be an interesting story. So I'm just going to use their like their um their their downtrodden life right. to make something interesting where she's found all these people who have various degrees of um mishaps in their life and she's allowing them to tell their story and she's engaging with them in a conversation and it never feels exploitative like when she's talking to the boy with the one eye and she's literally crying and it's just there's so much of it that you can tell that she's really feeling for the person and she wants them to tell their story or the shot with um 
my like second favorite shot in the film is the girl who is I think about to get an abortion and she's just shooting her hands yeah. and she's um, expresses so much just through the hands and you never have to see this woman's face and so we're never like confronted with putting um, a face to this this issue but we just know it's a woman and we know that she's nervous because of her hands and yeah, she's just moving her hands around. Tension through the skin here yeah, and there. Yeah, such an extremely provocative shot but without ever having to show this person's face and that's the choice and that's the choice she made like as the, as the person shooting and interviewing. And mm-hmm. she's clearly such a good interviewer as well. Yeah, it really does sort of call into question the concept of direction in documentary too because mm-hmm. if she is holding the camera and doing all of this but she is not the official director, director. of the film, how... You know, did, I, I assume these things are discussed in advance, and no one ever puts a thing in a movie that they don't want. Yeah. But it is really something to see her style evolve. Yeah. Uh, through time as well, and the way, even the way she just holds the camera with her with her family mm-hmm. uh, when she's at home, it's not relaxed necessarily. Yeah. It's very observational. It's very precise. And when she's talking to people she doesn't know that well, there's a different level of engagement you know you can be professional you can you can disconnect but she doesn't Mm-mm. she's relating to them almost more immediately than she does to her family because she knows her family well enough and that's there's true a, like there's a relaxed there is a mode there for sure in conversation I'm, i think i'm stepping on my own point but <laughs> yeah yeah i know what you mean but yeah. you, you feel this there concept is right that yeah. she is so completely open and inquisitive and there for whatever happens that when she's with her family, where she's supposed to be a parent yeah. or a caregiver, there's a there's a different operating principle. Different roles, absolutely. Yeah. And there's that one family that she goes back to years later. Um, I can't yeah. remember what location they're in. But she's clearly developed enough of a friendship and relationship with them. And they, uh, I think she showed them some of the footage as well, which is really, yes, really great. Yes, there's, yeah, there's so many. It seems it feels like so many different films you're watching because it's from so many different films. But it's the way she puts it all into one. It never feels exhaustive either. No, no, it's very. I mean, what is it like? Ninety-two minutes? It's yeah. not even right. It's really crisp. No, yeah. it's a hundred and two minutes. I'm bad at this. Hundred and two minutes. Yeah. Uh, but it's. I mean, she's got a wealth of film. It's it's you know a quarter century of shooting. I couldn't imagine the editing process. Yeah. And I, I, again, I would have loved to just ask you, like, do you start by marking stuff at the time? Is there, I mean, I can think of favorite memories professionally, but mm-hmm. I wasn't running around with a camera and trying to figure out what I'll be doing 10 minutes from now and all of that. It's, it, it does feel like a life lived completely in the moment. Mm-hmm. And she's able to roll with anything. But there's all of this accumulated emotion that doesn't release yes as we're watching it we yeah. just once we start to figure out how it works it becomes more involving but i mean it's just there are so few films that turn in turn that, that start as puzzles yeah. and turn into really you know, profound emotional experiences mm-hmm. where you just can't believe how much of herself is being revealed through this yeah and that's what i absolutely connect to is their vulnerability and i think that's the most relatable thing in a film is if someone can be actually fully vulnerable as a filmmaker or as a subject and you can feel it when it's real and you can't fake it yeah you can't fake it at all and the documentary um i think gets to that sometimes when it has a subject that's willing to open up in that way but then it's a question of yeah like where's the authorship coming from are they being exploited to feel vulnerable are they being recorded and then they're being manipulated into feeling vulnerable 
mm-hmm. but I, sh- I don't feel that way with her at all. But I think that's what I aim to do in my films is, is just capture a sense of vulnerability. And that's why I'm so far mostly putting myself in my films because I'm not ready to put anyone else in that position. Okay. Well, I was, I was going to say that there's a, there's a straight line to my mind to Pumpkin Movie in that it is about people admitting things, confessing things. Mm-hmm. And even though there's a quasi-dramatic context in that you're telling other people's stories in, mm-hmm. in some cases, yeah. uh, it's about, yeah, it's about being honest to the camera in a way that a documentary subject is expected to be. But when you are the filmmaker turning it on yourself, it's there's a different calculus. Yeah, I think um, part of that comes from um, like a practical, logical place where I am not a professional actor. Mm-hmm. I don't want to work with a script that I have to memorize because I don't believe I could deliver a script yeah. in the way that a professional actor could. So I try to create, rather than have writing a script for the last like three or four films, I've sort of created scenarios for myself and other non-actors to react within instead of having a script that is like um, multiple takes and, right. and you know, coming trying to have a finite performance um, and I think it helps me if I'm if I'm going to be in a film to yeah to not have to um, get something very specific across like a tone I, I set yeah like to set like a scenario and then see what kind of reactions come from it so for pumpkin movie um, I collected I think what was it like 50 stories from different women and it was a really, actually, I, surprisingly, well, not surprisingly, but um, surprising in how much it affected me, painful process, because a lot of the stories were a lot more extreme than I was wanting to use. The, the, the point of this film was more of a catharsis of, like, the um, everyday reactions and, and action, interactions you have with men. Yeah. And a lot of the stories were not going to fit within the context of this, because I wanted to keep it lighter just to get across this, like, cathartic telling of stories um but i had to sift through a lot of stories that were just like really just heartbreaking things mm. i asked uh, on twitter and i asked just a lot of my friends but i asked a lot of women who i didn't even know on twitter i just did an open call so i just got messages and messages so the script was essentially just like twitter dms okay that i had written down into a notebook um and then i asked my friend leah who plays the other part to do the same so she collected stories as well and then we sat down um I came up with this idea like three days before we shot the film and it just I was watching another film and I was like just like it just kind of whirled into my head like very quickly and then I was like I told my DP I was like can we shoot this film do you have time because I was actually back for VIF with another film and he lives in in Vancouver my okay. DP so we just like got together very quickly I bought two pumpkins <laughs> and then we sat down and the way we shot it was I was on um, on camera, but she was actually in Halifax. On Skype. On Skype. Mm. And she barely knew what I was trying to, to, to do. I just <laughs> called her. I was like, can you have a Skype conversation with me and find these stories? And that's essentially as much as I told her. Like, she understands sort of the, the way I work. And then I... Um, so I had my stories, she had her stories, but we had not swapped stories before shooting. Okay. And so I set up, on my end, I set up a, a wide camera and a closer camera of myself and screen recorded my side and she screen recorded her side. So there was essentially four angles being shot simultaneously like television. Right. And we shot for one hour of a conversation and we just let it flow naturally. I knew I wanted like a beginning and an end. So I entered the frame and I exited the frame. But that was it in terms of like a framing device. And well, the then, pumpkin carving. 
Yeah, yeah the pumpkin carving you end was with a pumpkin. Yeah, and we wanted to carve the pumpkins real time, so we we carved. She carved hers, and I carved mine. Um, but the way that the vulnerability comes across and the and the realistic nature of it is that we're just actually having the conversation. And like, I don't know what story she's going to tell me. She doesn't know what stories I'm going to tell her. I genuinely find her a very funny person. So anytime there's laughter, it's all just genuine. Nice. But it's also in some ways scripted because I'm pulling these stories that are not my stories and I'm telling them as though they are are my stories. Mm-hmm. So that's where the line between documentary and fiction, I just, I couldn't tell you. Like the fact that it's playing at hot dogs is interesting to me. Yeah. I'm like, oh, sure, documentary. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. I mean, True False makes more sense just in the name, yeah, right? Exactly. True False was the perfect premiere for it. That was such an amazing experience. Yeah. But with hot dogs too, it's uh, the thing that, I mean, I know your work, so I guess I was expecting a level of, of artifice or, or stylistic detachment. But watching it, it was just amazing how quickly I fell into it. And it's only 10 minutes long, but its escalations are so simple and so direct that it starts off with sort of a you know, a simpler story and then things grow more complex. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it plays with the audience expectation of... I guess, as you said, before we started rolling, um, it's essentially a horror film that someone could smash the door down at any moment, and mm-hmm. the framing is such that there's enough space that I was trying to figure out if you were going to go all the way for that. Mm-hmm. But then, just to have unresolved tension, it's actually more disturbing right? to have nothing come of it. Yeah. That just, that's obviously conveys the sense of, of mind, the state of mind that people live in, um, when they feel that they're under constant, well, th- I, I don't want to overstep but there's the tension of what could happen at any moment versus having to learn to live with that constant threat and tension yeah i think i think a lot of it was just trying to get across the point that these are normal everyday occurrences and that in itself is scary yeah it's like these are things that women are experiencing on a daily basis and um i tried to get across that i have writing them in a notebook i'd written the, the stories in a notebook, but the character in the film, I wanted it to be that she'd been keeping track in a notebook, right. because otherwise you literally forget. And that was what part of the interesting process of collecting stories, is a lot of people were like, I don't remember when I was harassed, like, what happened? Because it happens so frequently, and so sometimes it's so, like, in passing that you don't even remember, like, how many times you've had a completely inappropriate interaction with someone because you're just, just, like, you're used to it. Right. Which is, of course, why people get called out in court because line, things don't line up and memories are hazy and, and just it's part of that absorbed oh, yeah. existence or that absorbed culture, cultural yeah. existence. I'm not even sure how to phrase it anymore. It's just part of the zeitgeist, which is yes. awful. Yeah, and so we, we tried to create this... Um, fictional tradition in which this is what we do every year right and to get the point across that this is something that we've been doing for years and we're going to continue to do for years and so at the end where she's like well maybe next year we won't have so many stories to tell i thought a lot of people react to that line where it's just like oh that's such a bummer (laughs) you know and it's um Mm. in the last shot was just the pumpkin i think a lot of people also were resonating i've I've had a lot of people really react to that shot which is just finding it to be very haunting, I think, because it's, it's this, like, this face. And I guess a lot of people were, like, talking about why pumpkins and, like, what that means as, um, as, like, a metaphor. And just, like, how it is, in and of itself, is kind of a feminist act of, like, carving the pumpkin. Oh, and, absolutely. And yeah. gutting it and pulling the guts out. And how 
I would I think most people would associate a jack-o'-lantern with being a man's head rather than a woman's head. I don't know yeah. why that would be, but it's it His would name be. is Jack. Yeah, jack-o'-lantern. That's, that's yeah. true. Yeah, and so it's yeah subtle, but I think it's um it helped with the catharsis of just like tearing into it and gutting it. Yeah, <laughs> as we spoke. And it's just fascinating to watch too. I mean, as a visual element to see something potentially horrible happening off frame that there's there's a knife moving around and there's things squishing about it just it adds to the the general sense of tension in a, in a way that I mean I found very effective for 10 minutes in the dark <laughs> yeah oh, I think one of the best parts of showing it at True Falls because that was the first time I saw it with an audience because it was really meant to be an online film mm-hmm. so the fact that it's being seen by audiences now has been such a reward is people were laughing so much People thought it was quite funny, and I, that's such. I've never tried to make a comedy before. I, it was never really something I knew I would ever want to do, but I can see now why like people would want to. It's such a reward to have the immediate reaction of laughter. Yeah, because people are really engaging with like the uncomfortableness, but also the catharsis that I think the characters are also going through. Because what can you do? You know, yeah. that was part of a big part of what I wanted to get across is like you can share the stories, you can acknowledge them, and you and then a lot of women, you know, just. You have to laugh it off, and that's all you can really do with those mundane interactions, and then try and be aware that they're happening, and acknowledge them, and then just be there for each other. And that's really like the crux of a lot of like female friendships. Yeah, I just this this last year has been incredibly educational for me as a as a middle aged man who is insulated from all of this, but also incredibly depressing because I mean. Not only am I just learning just how much awful shit people go through on a daily basis simply because of their gender and their existence, uh, but I'm learning about all the people who think that it isn't such a bad thing and that they should that women should be quiet about it, and just it's reinforcing this the misery in this feedback loop that's just horrible. Mm-hmm. And you you know if if. There, there's performative allyship and all that other stuff that you get accused of when you simply say, could we not be assholes to each other? But but it really does come down to something that simple. And yeah. I know I'm not going to solve it uh, here on this podcast. <laughs> Damn. But, right? I mean, wouldn't it be great? But but there's, it's just, it's been so um, crushing, I think is the word, to yeah. realize that people have internalized this level of, of armor and protection and that it's been a necessity. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to see something, you know, to go back and look at Cameron person where mm-hmm. her entire purpose is to not have armor mm-hmm. um, in every situation she's in and simply take in whatever's there. Uh, it, it's, it's got to be a, like a physical skill, like a muscle that you can, you can, develop yes to, to do up. that as a filmmaker yeah right to to allow yourself empathy in a world that is so hell-bent on denying you yours that's interesting that yeah. yeah yeah i think i mean i think a film like this directed by a man would be really different Absolutely. i don't i suspect there wouldn't be as much family stuff i think the the conversations with the interview subjects would be different the, the idea of perspective and the fact that she's called it camera person is yes really haunting yeah i think her perspective coming as as a a female director it's it's hard to say what it would be like as a as a male director but i just don't think that a male director would maybe think to make it yeah (laughs) it's maybe the difference like 
to show what it what it's like to be um, a documentary camera person and what's the amount of emotional engagement and maybe there wouldn't be as much emotional engagement like mm. it's it's hard to say but it would be more battle footage <laughs> yeah, you know? battle, just yeah. like I got through this it's cool yeah I mean with documentary it's like there's that age old question of like how much do you engage um, how much can you help or not help like that um, the famous shot of the, the baby dying with the vulture mm. the journalist do you watch do you help Right. and she helps and she wants to help and she's gone back to these people and she's developed relationships with these people and that's what makes her as a person so special but then her as a filmmaker and as a camera person so special um, yeah and at the cost of her own relationships and yeah. you know the, there's you can feel the evaluation in the editing room somehow like look at how much time you're losing when you're away for weeks or months at a time and the changes I keep, I just keep coming back to it because it's a motif that I found really powerful mm-hmm. um, you're seeing less like to see less of your mother mm-hmm. physically and and mentally yeah every time yeah um, what does that do to someone how do you how do you make it right with yourself mm-hmm. and the answer obviously is that she showed it that she shared it yeah and I think that's what's us. so special about the medium of filmmaking is that you have the ability to like share those experiences with people and you're bound to find people who can relate to whatever experience it is that you're going through Mm. i think that's what's so special about filmmaking and films for me where i've been able to relate to them or um you know you see someone experiencing something similar and you're like oh i thought no one else had ever been through that or like how are they dealing with it and that's what's so um evocative of a films that show the vulnerability because then you can really feel what you've been through and what they've been through when you connect so like when you see someone do a Q&A like that you're like you really feel like you know them you know them so well and they, they don't know you but you know them right um, but that's sort of what I would like to do and, and I'm trying to do with films um, so far just on a short scale but films that people can relate to in their own like I try to leave enough space for people to uh, impart their own experiences where also trying to really show a piece of myself um, so that there's enough to take away but there's not like such a um, closed door experience like I want there to be some sort of open-endedness so that people can impart their own experiences um, like my first short film that I made outside of film school uh, was called it's called Nine Behind and it's all a phone conversation between a young girl who's essentially myself, but not played by myself. Um, she's a phone conversation between herself and her um, grandmother who's in Hungary. And it's all one-sided conversation. So we just hear her talking on the phone. And she's talking to a grandmother who she doesn't know at all. She's never really met this person. And she's trying to get to know them a little bit. And the way I did it, <clears throat> it's sort of... You only hear her, her side of the story. And then I've found a lot of people watching the film, they filled in the other conversation with whatever their experience might be with their grandparents. Right. And sort of trying to leave that space, but also make it, um, I, I don't want to use the word too much, like authentic, you know, because it's coming from a real lived experience. So people are like, oh, like, how do you write your scripts? And I'm just, as part of me is like, maybe I'm either like highly uncreative and I don't want to write scripts because it's so difficult or it's just that I want to tell stories that are so true and so based on my experience that I can't do anything else I don't know which it is really but it's like 
I, I have a very hard time not making films since film school that are not like pretty much verbatim experiences that I've been through in very in a very like I can't delineate very much. I'm like I was really I was wearing a red sweater, so I should probably just be wearing a red <laughs> so sweater. So that's specific. Yeah, like okay. it's it's yeah like I've made a film now about a breakup and it was just like everything was very very specific and raw about it like I shot in the location of the apartment that I was in with that partner and it was an empty apartment post breakup and it was just I just used the location I just used everything about it was just literally what I was going through at the time and people were like oh it feels so real and I'm like oh, it kind of is <laughs> but I, try, I like to keep it like it feels like a fiction film but it feels so real is what people say so mm. I, I try to find this balance between like feeling real but not trying to trick and pretend that it's um just a document of my life yeah what would you call that an authentic fiction i mean yeah what is it i don't know <laughs> apparently a documentary <laughs> i don't know because it's like if it wants if people want to program it as a documentary or people want to program it you know true or false is sort of this hybrid thing and then um, it's playing at maryland film festival right after hot dogs okay. which i'm i think they are just do they have a genre that they identify with not off the top yeah. of my head no i don't I, don't know. I think they're kind of more open. I guess just more open. Yeah, and a shorts program is more likely to mix and match anyway. Yeah, you don't that's have true. to declare yourself. That's true. Yeah, but yeah, I don't. I don't know that I could spe- specify what the genre is that I'm trying. I, I, I keep saying hybrid fiction, but like maybe some people think of that differently. Like, what? Like, how would you define a hybrid fiction film? I think. Yeah, I mean, a hybrid to me is a film that is working with facts, but acknowledges in some way that. The liberties that it's taking mm-hmm. or the way that, that the only way to tell the story is to create a fiction around it or find a way to it's what Ida Loris does it's openly acknowledging that this you're seeing recreations mm-hmm. but they are intensely cinematic and it's in widescreen and just it does everything it can to tell you it's a movie mm-hmm. it's polished and glossy and, and almost beautiful interesting and that works because of how artificial it is there's mm-hmm. no attempt to pretend that you're seeing a flashback or a memory yeah and you can it's see just that. yeah it's, it's really something yeah um and with the question of hybrid i mean camera person is absolutely found footage mm-hmm. right i mean it is a documentary it's real footage and i felt like it was as authentic as it gets yeah but the structure of it is manipulative i mean it's creating yeah, a mood it's a form. It's, she has a form yeah. she's not just slapping together like the um the way that we know not like, like a Netflix documentary to be right the the archival footage talking head archival footage talking head recreation talking recreation. head voiceover yeah, yeah exactly it's all just oh he was crazy all right that kind of thing yes and absolutely you can make those in your sleep now name popping up in the corner yes exactly yeah. after the first sentence yeah. is spoken but you gotta wait and then pop and the then name. obviously the music is very manipulative as well the yeah. way that the oh so many of these yeah and it's the same way and it's just. It's so funny to me that people can't see the difference. And I, I don't want to sound like pretentious about it, but it seems that people are so willing to believe what a documentary is telling them. Yeah, and if you see enough of them, you know, you can see the strings being pulled. You can tell, which is why Camera Person is so daring in that it really is just sort of unadulterated footage that is organized in a way that makes you understand and reach the catharsis that she wants you to reach. Mm-hmm. But that individually, I mean, I would watch these on YouTube for days if they were available. That's There's just every one of them is fascinating behind-the-scenes material or an interesting portrait of her home life. And That's it's so someone weird. whose work I'm 
already interested in. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a pure it's the purest form of documentary. If I had to put yeah. it simply, like if if documentary, it's like someone went back to the beginning and they were like, this is what documentary is and should be. Yeah, what she's done. I think, which I don't actually don't really have much of an interest in making, a like a straight documentary, which is what's interesting about now having this film be defined as a documentary in some ways mm-hmm. is like I never intended to make a documentary um, or have it called a documentary but I guess I, mean, I think it's happening it's happening all over that people are mixing genres and you know um, like for me one of the first like more mainstream hybrid fiction films I saw was Kate Plays Christine oh sure yeah. um, Robert Green Robert Green's Robert film Green, yeah, yeah. And just at the time, I was just like, oh, interesting. And just like films like that where you're like, oh, that's also a film. And that's also a film. And just different things that you see that you're like, it doesn't have to be a certain way. And you can and you can make it um, you can make it however you want. And for me, it's, it's honestly like the best way as a low, no-budget filmmaker to make films is hybrid. Because you're able to use what you have. You have very little. And then you're able to just make that work because you're not trying to create any sort of like extensive production value like right. I literally spent $30 on pumpkin movie I bought two pumpkins um, and that was the budget okay for the film and I think you can't really do that if you're making a, a fiction on like a fiction film where you're having to recreate everything oh sure it's no, a lot I mean, more money just the lighting package alone right to make yeah. it look period or cinematic or whatever it is you're doing plus wardrobe plus yeah. everything else I mean I Dolores must have cost hundreds of thousands Right. Pounds. It's that kind of thing where people are driving picture cars right, exactly. for some scenes. I will say a huge part of it, though, is my DP, Devin Scott, who I've made three of my four short films with in Vancouver, is one, always ready to make a film with me with like basically zero context. <laughs> I'm just like, can you crap your camera and come? Right. And he always says yes. And then two, he's just incredibly talented, and he's able to, like that wide frame for Pumpkin Movie, you know, he had nothing to work with, and he still made it look extremely cinematic. And yeah, it looks great he's able to just like pull it off so a, a huge part of the low budget no budget is having very talented friends <laughs> sure and um that's how you build a creative team right? I mean, yeah that's, absolutely that's how it works it's a huge part of it um and the other thing is having i basically i work with like four four person crew i would say is like one person doing sound one person um like a dp usually devin um and maybe an extra person helping with camera and that's like the, the entire crew and then most of my films, if not all of them, have been edited by the same person, um, also from Vancouver, Will Ross. And he edited this film as well, which I couldn't have fathomed editing myself, I think. Like, being in the film. Right. And trying to, like, pick moments. And I told him, I'm like, I want to include this story, I want to include this story. And then he found a way to, to cut it together that really, um, I don't know that I would have come to okay. on my own. Yeah. Yeah, that feels pretty seamless. I mean... Yeah. It's invisibly edited, almost. You just cut from conversation to conversation, like from from story to story. Yeah, and I think it was um, a choice that we came to together to only use her Skype and not my Skype because we recorded my Skype screen as well. Oh yeah. Um, just to keep the the separation between the two perspectives. Um, I think it helped my friend Leah, who's on the other side, um, with her performance that she didn't feel like she had all these cameras on her. She just felt like she was skyping me. Right. Because there was no way for her to even see that there was like a crew or anything behind her right. so she was able to just react naturally yeah yeah well in and then in terms of hybrid filmmaking what you're getting is 
I mean, technically, her Skype window is documentary, right? Like, it, yeah. except that she's telling stories that aren't necessarily hers personally. Yes, exactly. But you get the sense that these stories are being structured towards a larger truth, which mm-hmm. is what camera person does, mm-hmm. um, both with both with Johnson's stories and others mm-hmm. uh, that she filmed herself. So I think we kind of already answered the question, but what, if anything, this is how the podcast always ends, mm-hmm. uh, what, if anything, of camera person have you borrowed or stolen or incorporated into your own creative DNA? Interesting. Um, I think a lot of it is, as we've talked about, is just willingness to be vulnerable and to put yourself in your films. And I always try to, I think it's like a Bresson quote where he says, only make something that only you could bring into the world. Like it's, I'm very, I'm slashing that quote, but it's, it's, um, (laughs) well, it was French originally. So it just, the idea that like to make a film that only could come from your, your experience. I'm not right now interested in making films that are, you know, a script that someone else writ written and just, I'm, I'm directing. I think it's, important for me to make a film that is purely something that only I could bring into the world and I think that for her that was very specific to that film and that she, no one else could have made that film oh, yeah. even though the footage exists I don't think another editor or another person like it is it's clearly her film and the authorship is, is completely up to her and I think that I, I find that very inspiring and I find her incredibly inspiring as a person the way she goes about the world, but as a, as a filmmaker as well, um, and I'd, I'd like to see where she goes. If she's like, it's hard to imagine her. This seems just like the magnum opus. Like, how, how where do you? How can you go from? Yeah, there? yeah. You would need another twenty five years of footage, yeah. and you know maybe they become her version of the before trilogy, where we just check in on her life every now and then. But I don't know that you could do this again. I don't yeah. know that she would want to. I think. Yeah, I think. Uh, huge thing for me about it was that she clearly needed to make this film and I like to I, I feel that for me if I've gone through something and I need to make a film about it, it it is a catharsis and for her like this clearly was just it came out of her like it was like she couldn't I think she t- spoke about it in the Q&A that she couldn't continue on without making it she needed to make it get it out of her system and I think that in relation to like processing trauma that's how I find it for myself too is like if something's happened to me the best way for me to process it is to get behind a camera and look at it from that perspective and to get some distance from it, to get some perspective from it, and then also have people be able to engage with the story and maybe relate to the story. And then I can... It's also nice to have that, like, that memory capsule, like even just looking back at like my like the film about my breakup, um, which is Let Your Heart Be Light. That's the one that Dara and I co-directed. Yeah. Um, just looking back at that I'm like it's so nice that I have this like time capsule of this like really dramatic time in my life it's just it's now in this nice little neat little package right and filtered to. through your own particular vision and yeah. it's you know it's oh what is it oh, there's a line from I'll never remember it there's a line from a movie about someone who refuses to watch things on videotapes he just likes to remember things how he remembers them I think Bill mm. Pullman says it uh, it's probably a Ben Vibbs film but it would um, be. <laughs> yeah. no Lost Highway. It is Lost Highway. Oh, Lost Highway, yeah. in Lost Highway. Um, and that's always struck me as so arrogant, but also vulnerable, mm-hmm. because we all remember things differently, you know, memory subjective, uh, period, full stop. But the idea that you wouldn't want your memory challenged is somehow just an incredibly limiting thing to say. Mm-hmm. 
but also really easily understood. I get that. I don't agree with it. Mm-hmm. I need evidence from time to time just to remember what I said about something or what I how I feel about something yeah. now. It's not how I felt about it then. But yeah, you're you're creating by making movies about things that have come out of your own life, you are owning them in a way that mm-hmm. you know, it's it's an inarguable version now because you've created this version of it. And you can just point to it and say, just like with Camera Person, 25 years of Kristen Johnson's life are in this little DVD right here. Yeah, exactly. And does it help? Does it ultimately help to to lock it down that way and have a definitive version, even if it is a definitive construction? Yeah, I think it helps in different ways. Um, like it helps the process of making it is very helpful in one way, and in the process of reflecting back on it immediately after you've made it. And then going back and looking at it later, there's there's many different layers of effect that you can have from making a film. I find, mm-hmm. and I think that um, in terms of like what I would like to do eventually is to teach filmmaking as as art therapy and as trauma therapy, and so to have people be able to find that within themselves to be vulnerable and to make a film that can help them process an experience that they've had. And I feel like that is the, the power of these kinds of films is, is being able to open up that part of yourself and then you can reflect on it and then you can reflect on it immediately and you reflect on it from years later and it's just it's such a unique perspective that you can't really have just by like writing in a journal or painting a picture it's just it's such a specific to film I think because yeah. you can't share it with people as a visual medium you can't share with people in the same you can't share other art forms in the same way because it's such a varying perspective that you have from those other art forms sure yeah so so much of it is leaves it up to the audience to create the image yeah whereas literally with film you're showing them yeah film is a very like it it can be as much of a literal interpretation of your experience as possible I think Mm -hmm. um even when you're creating it entirely out of uh yeah which is goes back to the question of yeah how much of it's real and how much of it's fake but that's part of what I'm trying to do with my thesis, um, is I've basically asked the question, is is it possible to um, heal from trauma through the process of making a film? And I'm making a very, like my most personal film in my in my MFA right now, very much related to like my own family and experiences. And I've, I'm putting myself in that question and similar to how she's put herself in, in her film and her family and her experiences. And just how can you um, allow yourself to process these things and the same way you do with a therapist and talking about it this is just another another way to um, acknowledge I think it's about acknowledgement like mm-hmm. acknowledging experiences and if you put it in a film it's like it's it, it happened it's real it happened and I need to acknowledge that it happened and then that way you can um, move past it and is I mean is that what you find for your own stuff do you are you moving past it is it is it helping I think absolutely, yeah. And I think just being, I think moving past it, but also being able to um, acknowledge something is, is an experience that you have gone through is a huge part of, of trauma. Um, because so much of trauma is like um, suppressed, right? And sure. in this way, you're able to acknowledge it's happening and then have people acknowledge that you've experienced it as well. I think it's a huge part for me is like wanting people to know and then wanting people to know that other people have been through trauma and just having other people know that you need to be tender and kind with people because they've been through things and it's just like if you can relate to an experience then that maybe that makes someone feel a little bit better and I, I find for sure when I watch a film where I see someone going through something that that makes me feel better like 
in, in a different way than if you just have a conversation with someone. Yeah. Like, do you, have you seen the film Manic that came out? Oh, last year, yeah. Last year, which I have become now good friends with Kalina, the director, because we sat down and we just both talked about our experiences, and I found her film. I could do an entirely other podcast on her <laughs> film. I just found it to be extremely relatable and compelling and, and vulnerable, so vulnerable. Yeah, so. I mean, it really is just almost shocking to watch someone interrogate not only her father but herself and her family's mm-hmm. life and and it's uh i guess sarah Polly's stories we tell sort of does the same thing in telling the story of your family you cannot help but tell the story of who you are yes because you can't disconnect it exactly and these things shaped you and so you're confronting in manic it it's um it's remarkable we're watching the story basically a story of a cult leader who never really got to have a cult yes uh and instead <laughs> brought that to his family yeah and, and left them with the legacy of mental illness and, and um, conditioning and sociological ticks that maybe wouldn't have existed otherwise. But it, it, yeah, it was really fascinating. It must be out there somewhere. I'm sure people can find it. Yes, I think... Um, probably on iTunes. I by think now. it's... Was it more working towards getting some distribution, for sure. Um, it's done quite well. It was her first film as well. And for her, it was just a film, again, that she needed to make. Like, wow. she had not made anything previous to that. That was her first film. Yeah. I wonder what I mean, what does she do next? I mean She's coming to Hot Docs actually. She's coming to do the Doc Acceleration Lab. Oh great. So she'll be here, because um, it premiered I believe at Hot Docs as well, so they're yeah. having her back. Um and we're yeah, we're similar ages. We have so many similarities. It was really great to meet her. Um and she's gonna be, I think, coming to Pumpkin Movie. Oh fantastic. As well. <laughs> All right, yeah. well I'll have to grab her for the podcast. Yeah, you should. Yeah, yeah that'd be great. Yeah. And um, it's just, it, I mean, it really is incredible that the documentary is still capable of surprising us, I mm-hmm. think, and that delivering personal, the, I think maybe that's it, that the personal docs are becoming more popular now simply because the means to make them, as you say, you can do it for almost nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have a story worth telling and you have some skill at telling it, it's possible to still make something that is not just engrossing and interesting but immediate and powerful and relevant and and i don't know i've just i've seen so many weak ones lately that mm-hmm. that try to compensate for the lack of a vision with right you know colors and music and yeah. other other things that this is what i'm thinking about camera person if you strip it down to these are things that i saw and here is the way that i'm showing them to you that's all you need and it is incredibly powerful manic does the same thing and that's always going to be um relatable and and very strong like it's it's because it's so raw and i think people maybe yeah you're right that this there's more of a um emphasis on personal storytelling right now and i wonder what why that would be i wonder well the new generation thinks they've discovered it yeah i wonder if yeah i think it's also like social media is so much about that right now with like instagram story like yeah, everyone's yeah. constantly telling stories their own stories and, and people are more um interested in in documenting more than ever mm-hmm. well there's everything. I mean, there's more footage isn't that the, the the latest bit of wisdom that there's more footage being shot every day than there ever has been because with every new camera with every new phone there's there's just more oh i believe in this ever expanding sea yeah. of information oh yeah absolutely and, and there's even like Snapchat and Instagram, like film festivals and this oh, kind of God. stuff. Now I know it's it's pretty cringy, but it's it's true. And like everyone, yeah, everyone's wants to have a camera in their hand and has a, a maybe a better understanding of like um, what 
why we document things and, and why we want to document things and I don't know It'd be it's not the worst way for the world to go I guess <laughs> no. to be interested in, in hearing stories and engaging with personal stories yeah and it's inevitably going to illuminate more than it hides which yeah. you know somebody said that it wasn't until cell phones that uh, aliens stopped visiting earth and <laughs> police started shooting black people that it wasn't until documentation wow. that you could prove these things huh. and the idea that you can deny institutional racism becomes harder every day because there's just more proof of it and then sexism and everything else i think consequence that yeah. we were talking about before like there's now we're in the age of consequence yeah there's hoping yeah <laughs> My thanks to Sophie Ramvari, whose short film Pumpkin Movie is screening in the Silence Breakers program at Hot Docs in Toronto, showing this Thursday, April 26th at 8.45pm at the Tiff Bell Lightbox, repeating Friday, April 27th at 12.45pm at the Tiff Bell Lightbox, and again Saturday, May 5th at 5.45pm at the Scotiabank Theatre. It's really something. Tickets are available at hotdocs.ca. Check it out if you can. You can find Sophie on Twitter at Sophie Ramvari, all one word, and you can find Camera Person on Blu-ray and DVD in the Criterion Collection. It's also available on iTunes and Google Play, and if you're in the U.S., it's on Filmstruck. Also, if you're interested in Kalina Burton's Manic, it just had a theatrical run in Montreal, and, as Sophie said, it's working its way towards wider distribution. Keep an eye out. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at SomeoneElsesMovie.com. If you want to leave a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, that would be greatly appreciated. Every little bit helps, it truly does. Thanks for your support, and thanks for listening.